at every single point. We never hit a snag where Quinn wanted to do something that would provide less benefit to Eric and me, or where Eric and I wanted to do something that would not benefit Quinn. Hi, this is Alexandria from Sacramento, California. You're listening to Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast that helps you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Welcome back. In today's episode, Gene and Eric Moat dive into what made them pursue a merger and build out a succession plan with fellow advisor Quinn Arnold. Now, all three of them are with us for this episode, and as you'll hear, they had to work through the merger process. It included everything from merging AUM and planning clients to navigating different planning software that each practice had used individually. Straight ahead, you'll hear how Gene, Eric, and Quinn combine practices while still providing exceptional client services. And as a special note, if you're a career changer, I hope you find this story inspiring. Registration for the FPA NextGen Gathering is still open, and this is a conference that you don't want to miss. My first gathering was one of the most pivotal events in my career, and I'm confident that it can be the same for you. I left that gathering with clarity of my situation, questions that I needed to answer, and a network that would prove invaluable over the next several years. Not only can you get all of this, Gathering is the most affordable financial planning conference, and your registration fee includes three, yes, that's right, three nights of lodging. Be sure to sign up and join us in New Orleans on June 2nd to the 4th. Well, Quinn, Eric, and Jean, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. So uh, why don't we just go ahead and Quinn, we'll start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your career path and how you got to where you are currently in your professional life? This is a little bit of a roundabout way. I am uh, one of those career changers that came to the profession uh, later in my working career uh, or midway, I guess. I worked for about 20 years in uh, corporate consulting and and, uh, corporate finance and uh, was actually looking for a financial planner just after we had been talking, my wife and I had been talking with friends about uh, somebody they used in another state. And I looked around my area, we're in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and um, reached out to Gene and Eric. And uh, that that's how we had met uh, these several years ago now. Uh, and although I wasn't a good fit for the practice, like in terms of being a client, they they were practicing some good um, target market focus and being choosy about which uh, people they, they were taking at that point in, in their practice. Uh, we did stay in contact and uh, they convinced me uh, very gently that this was a, a great profession to get into and that I could uh, make a go of it. And so uh, from there, I... Uh, started um, looking around at what financial planning involved, how could I be uh, involved in this profession but still stay in the area and decided that I wanted to open my own RA. And I had uh, joined FPA, I joined XY Planning Network um, and got a lot of support from Eric and Gene also as we we're doing the um, doing the start of the business. And, and so then three years ago, opened an RIA um, and slowly started growing that business from there. But then after that, I have now um, actually just last year, Gene and Eric and I teamed up and we, we merged our practices. So that, that's, a, that's the very fast version here. I'm sure we can dig into a few details as we go, though. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. So you went from rejected client to firm <laughs> owner. 
I, I guess so. So yeah, I had my revenge. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's hilarious. I've never actually heard of that one before. Um, it it was a little it was a little more gentle than that, Matt. But um, but yeah, I guess that you could say that was uh, that was part of the path. <laughs> That's great. Um, great. So Eric and Jean, why don't you tell me a little bit more about your story and how, you know, you ended up having your own firm. Um, and it sounds like you had some great success there in targeting marketing. So tell us a little bit more about that journey. Uh, my background was telecommunications. And on the technical side, uh, I worked for kind of the Bell system back when that was in existence. And uh, as changes started to happen to uh, that side of the industry, I uh, moved to a startup company called Teleconnect. And that's, um, <clears throat> they were providing long distance um, resale support. And that's where Gene and I met. So I went in on the technical side of that. Um, Gene came in um, into customer service and we grew with that company through some really um, terrific growth years. Um, then telecommunications, uh, started to, to change. Our company was bought. We became part of uh, various mergers and, um, as things continued like that, it became more and more clear that part of our job was to start, uh, laying people off, consolidating the business and, and, um, looking at the budget side. So, um, we ended up in a situation where we were laying off a lot of employees, um, friends, and that just wasn't the, the right kind of thing for us to be doing. So we kind of started looking around for something else to do. We ended up laying ourselves off. Um, both of us laid ourselves off to save some slots for existing employees. And we started searching for a small business to either start or purchase and we uh, ended up finding NAPFA um, as, as uh, fee-only providers. We looked at NAPFA um, members for the potential to either work with them as clients um, or to figure out just what we could do to become more involved um, in that type of industry and in financial planning. <clears throat> so... Um, along the way, NAPFA had a national conference in Minneapolis. We were uh, close in Cedar Rapids within driving distance, and we had some NAPFA members encourage us to attend that conference. We met another fee-only planner in Iowa and uh, did some, had him mentor us for a period of time and then decided to open our own shop in uh, January 1st of 2001. So uh, we started up without our CFPs, uh, which we would not advise anyone to do again, and grew the business from that point, primarily bringing in some friends and prior co-workers and, and uh, people from telecommunications. At the first conference we went to, met a fee-only advisor in Iowa City, and we interned with him, and almost the first thing he advised us to do was to join FPA and um, become part of the financial planning community, uh, which was a good move for us as well. So um, 
we because we had so much support from other advisors, we made part of our mission to help career changers or um, people who were considering especially fee-only financial planning. And uh, it was uh, mentioned on our website, we have participated in a great many startups and done what we could to support the industry as a whole. So we were pretty practiced at helping other people get their ADVs going and, and figuring out how to start a practice by the time we met Quinn. And he just kind of fell victim to our enthusiasm. Well, I would say he fell victim in the best way possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's good to, to mention as part of your story, Gene and Eric, too, that you, uh, you had a bad experience with a broker who was not providing financial planning advice to you. And, and, um, and, and that helped to form some of your passion in the early days, you know, and, and certainly has stuck with you too. But I mean, I think that really was a big motivator was you, you wanted to be a better kind of advisor than uh, some of the advice that you had received. That's right. We, um, we did have some issues with what we thought to be our trusted financial planner, our, our trusted financial advisor. And when we, during that period, when we had laid ourselves off and we were searching for our next career, we discovered some of the things that had been done as far as churning um, with our assets and, and the type of commissions that were not transparent and the fact that, uh, that our planner, broker, was really not providing anything for us other than just investments and, and um, he really didn't even have a plan around that. So we knew there had to be a better way, um, and and that was really part of our, our search and, and the way that we found NAPA. Eric found the um, John Bogle book and just became a zealot about uh, low-cost investing and commission-free investing. So that played a big role as well in getting us on the right path. Again, we kind of have this experience where we noticed there was a problem or something didn't quite fit us. And then we went and solved the problem by starting a business. Eric, I know you mentioned you wouldn't start a business again without the CFP. Can you go a little deeper into that? The CFP, which we, we started studying for our CFP a couple of different times, and then business got in the way. And we started the business by uh, getting our Series 65, um, that was the way we opened the doors. But the CFP provides a lot of credibility, and it provides such good broad-based training to studying to to sit for the for the exam. Part of our encouragement now with any new people that are thinking about getting into business is to really push the CFP mark to get them involved and get them studying early and to let them know just how important it, it has been to, to us to have attained the mark and be able to use it. Eric calls it encouraging, and I tend more just to nag people into it, as Quinn can tell you. Uh, we were fortunate to have people who cared enough about us and our future in the practice to really stay uh, very involved in, in nagging us into getting our CFPs, and we absolutely uh, passed that, play that forward, pay it forward, and it has been significant in every planner's 
career that that we have helped direct that way. So obviously, as you guys have alluded to, there has been a merger here. So why don't we get a little bit more into how that merger came to be um, from both sides? Um, what were you looking for? And how did this all make sense on paper? For us, we have been in business, I guess, 18, 19 years at this point, and we're getting up in age. And I like to describe it as we have a limited shelf life in the business. So our clients um, and prospects would sometimes say to us, well, how much longer are you guys going to remain in the business? And we uh, would give them a couple different answers. Uh, one was that we had just obtained office space a few years ago, and we'd taken out a five-year lease with two uh, five-year extensions beyond that. The other was we love what we're doing, and we have a lot of clients who have become friends and friends who have become clients. And we wanted to make sure that, that they were taken care of um, for the future. That coupled with several inquiries from other planning firms who had approached us on buying our practice um, got us to thinking that, and first of all, most of the, the other planning firms that approached us, we didn't like either the way they did business or their attitude or, or just a number of things and thought that we, we needed to feel comfortable enough with whoever merged with our practice, bought our practice, that we personally would enter into an agreement with them where they become our financial planners. And um, we explored a couple of situations with some of those folks that had approached us and pretty much backed away from them because we just didn't get a good vibe on, on how things were going. We finally, uh, Gene and I finally got down to talking about what would we, what would we really want in a firm that would would um, become part of our business and and eventually become our business? And Quinn came to mind. I mean, he was he was the person in the area that we knew his um, his abilities in in practicing financial planning and his people skills and personality were all things that we felt would appeal to our clients and certainly appeal to us. So we walked away from those other inquiries and and we contacted Quinn and, and asked him to um, consider whether he would be interested in, in essence, merging and taking over this practice. He was just the right person that, that we knew would be right for this business and that would frankly, get along well with the diverse client base that we have. And um, to this point in the merger, we have not lost a single client in transition. So, um, and we have signed the same agreement with Quinn that our client signed um, with Quinn when he, he came in. We are his clients. We pay the same fees that our other clients pay. And we are excited to have somebody as good as he is to help guide us through our retirement when we decide to actually um, leave the business or, or become less involved. Had you thought about the future of the business until your clients started asking you what the future of the business would be since you were reaching retirement age? Yes, we had. Um, 
you know, it's, it is the topic of a lot of conference sessions. It's a topic of discussion within, you know, the local FPA chapter as well as NAPFA. So we had thought about it, but it's kind of an easy thing to ignore until you, you really realize how important it is to make sure your clients are, are well taken care of and that, the you know, the future has um, a transition method by which they will be taken care of. So we had been thinking about it, but we were immersed in how busy we were, and it was pretty easy to just kind of push that off. I think I can jump in a little bit. Um, my, my back is getting sore from so much padding on it, but <laughs> <laughs> so, this makes me feel pretty good at the beginning of the day. Um, the Well, and Eric and Jean are, uh, are very gracious always with, uh, you know, with clients and colleagues and everything, too, that they, they've built... Uh, something that is of value too, and that's um, they were not sole proprietors in, in the sense of they had each other. They, uh, we also have an uh, administrative assistant, and they were uh, certainly working on a very healthy and active practice, but um, also in the sense of they're not part of like a multi-advisor firm. So, uh, it, it, you know, I think you do start to think about what what can happen to this business because it's, you know, as, as, um, we think about it frequently, like we are the business, that's the client's value to us is because we're their advisor. And, and if we're not here or if they're not satisfied, there's no value. Uh, and that's, um, that's something I think a lot about now as a owner of a larger practice, I, I had a very small practice coming into the merger and, um, that, that was, or that's that is definitely on my mind and and was on all three of our minds as we were going through the merger that um you know what I was buying is is really client goodwill and you ask clients to sign with the new firm and you try to make it easy for them to uh say yes but it's it's still something they have to say yes to and and be um happy with and and Gene and Eric have done a a phenomenal job I think of of making this uh, an easy transition for clients. They're still very active day to day in the practice. And, um, you know, I think are successfully starting to, uh, to pull back a little bit or at least make time for other things in their lives while still coming in and doing good, solid work. Uh, but it's, you know, something where that, that you have to spend the time with the, with clients and especially with our key clients, you need to spend a, a significant amount of time making sure everybody's happy and that um, this is a is um, something that can continue with the next generation, who's me in this case. Um, and, and so we're, we're we're conscious of that a lot and and trying to make uh, the the value for clients be clear. And uh, you know, I think we've taken even some steps where we think like, okay, what are what's something we can do for somebody now, uh, just to show sort of the you know the excitement of the merger. Like, what's a little thing we can talk to them about to be um, to to keep people engaged, make sure they know that we're thinking about them, and that's uh, that's important to us. Right, and you know, Quinn, you had said there ultimately the client has to say yes. What were some of the concerns? that you had in announcing the merger and what are some tips you may be able to share with other advisors out there who need to have this conversation about succession planning or selling off the business? What tips can you give them to make that a smooth conversation with their clients? I, I think 
you know, being very clear about your story. What what is it that you are? Why are you doing this? Um, uh, you know, we we tried to emphasize the fit between the three of us um, and how and Eric the same um, little spiel that you heard there from Eric about you know them signing up as clients of mine and and um, going through the same financial planning activities and that kind of stuff they they were made sure to say that and you know and, and write that out in our in our emails and it was um, you know so uh, I think that that's very important is to be direct with clients and also have your um, your story straight as to why you're doing this that uh, you know I, um, although there are obviously a lot of motivations for for um, Gene and Eric in, in doing this you know they want to to have a secure retirement from the sale of the business they want to still um, work for as long as they want as part of an active retirement but but um, you know we, we had to actually go through that and we we used um, FP Transitions as a consultant for the merger, and they helped with a lot of the mechanical pieces of that of the merger. And I, I would suggest doing something like that as well. Um, it, there's just a lot of things that even if you are an experienced business owner, you maybe haven't thought of if you've never been through a, a purchase or a sale of a business. And I think having somebody, you know, it doesn't have to be a RIA consultant but but you know an experienced attorney or that is is active in in mergers and acquisitions or something uh, somebody that can be a guide I, I would you know I would highly uh, I would say you just have to do that you know just um, it, it will cost some some money but just like financial planning costs money and uh, we all tout the value of that I, th- I think that's very important if you're considering a, a move like this right we also the three of us um, worked with a coach just for a short time. Uh, and, you know, we, on one hand, I think we felt that we all think so much alike and we have the same uh, client attitudes and the same investment approach and those kinds of things. But um, having an outside party maybe raise some issues not to resolve with the coach, but as talking points among ourselves. Um, You know, the most important thing from our standpoint is that this is just a good personality match. And that, that makes all the difference. If you were just merging with somebody who walked in the door and said, I want to buy your practice, uh, it would be an entirely different situation. I think clients are comfortable with Quinn because we're all so comfortable with each other. And um, he just, he has the ability to, to build that relationship quickly. I think by, you know, by showing that the three of us care about each other and, and want to make everything successful for the clients. So it's, uh, talking through things, understanding each other clearly, um, putting everything on the table, and mostly just being really generous with each other. I think on at every single point, we never hit a snag where one where Quinn wanted to do something um, that would provide less benefit to Eric and me, or where Eric and I wanted to do something 
that would not benefit Quinn. Thinking about the practice as a whole and each other and being just being kind and generous and considerate has made this such a successful transition. Yeah. So you would say then, you know, the personality fit between the three of you is really that good vibe that you felt with Quinn versus some of the others who approached to purchase your business. Yes, for sure. Yep, definitely. You know, this this is a lot in the same way that clients pick an advisor because they they generally like the personality fit. I mean, I'm sure there's some minority that pick it because of investment performance or something like that. But but you have to generally like your advisor. And I think uh, you need to extend that like tenfold to a potential business partner uh, because it's this is just a people business and you, you have to make those kinds of things work. So it should be something that's top of mind with people because I we joke that like Eric and Jean still haven't shown me the room where we keep all the machines that, that do the financial planning. So like there's, there's no asset in the business, like, you know, a big um, financial planning factory that, that I'm buying from them. I mean, it's, it's really all of this, this people work together that we have to make work out. And um, so, so I think that that's something that should be foundational as you look at who your potential partners would be in the future. So tell me a little bit more about what the transition was like when two became one. Obviously, you know, there, there's probably some different processes in play in each firm. How did some of those differences in the day-to-day operations of each firm change after the merger? So a couple of things were easier for us than maybe some other firms. Uh, I was not really providing... Um, custodied investment management services. I was primarily only working with clients on for financial planning, like on a on a retainer and an hourly basis. And um, and Gene and Eric had been providing asset management work with uh, as part of overall comprehensive financial planning. But but they had uh, custodied at Schwab for for many years. Uh, it kind of right out of the gate and. Um, and so had a significant amount of AUM built up at Schwab. And I, that made the transition smooth because I did not need to bring on, um, you know, like a half of a, of a practice onto a different custodian or, you know, somehow try to figure out processes for two different custodians or something like that. So um, that, that, you know, I guess there would be some um, process challenge with that kind of a merger if you were, um, you know, if you had like TD Ameritrade and Schwab or Fidelity or something like that, that you were trying to pull all of those pieces together and make work as a practice together. But um, we fortunately did not have to go through that. Um, the For financial planning, our client, uh, I, I used eMoney, Eric and Jean used uh, Money Guide Pro. Uh, we find that both of the programs are, are pretty similar and um and I've I've learned both sides, and they're they're learning e-money, and it's um, I, I think from a from a that kind of planning standpoint, like w- with using tools, we haven't found that to be very cumbersome or difficult, and um, and you know we're pretty uh, fluid on on dealing with clients on each, and we'll, we'll probably eventually just pick one tool, but I think that's still a decision yet to come, and we're not really stressed about. Um, where do which tool do we use exclusively for for a set of clients and um 
Gene, Erica, what other things have you thought were interesting, like from a process or merger standpoint? I think you hit on the key items in that you brought in um, you brought in your client base, which was not just AUM; it was more planning. Um, you were able to serve. In fact, we were referring prospects to you before the merger happened. So um, you brought in that element, and then we were able to 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 bring our existing software custodian, those kinds of pieces, and there wasn't a lot of overlap, so we didn't have to make some pretty big decisions right off the bat. The exciting part, I think, for me is we now have the opportunity to really look at efficiencies, and we've got Quinn's eyes, another set of eyes, looking at things and saying, well, um, I see what you're doing and, and how you're doing it, you know, May, it might make sense to look at some alternatives here. And, and we needed that. You know, we had grown, Gene and I had grown the business, and um, it is really valuable to have Quinn's look and, and his ideas now at, at the way we are doing things to make them more efficient and better. I would agree. I think the key thing has been that we've all been open to looking at each other's processes and each other's um, approach because although they were similar, they don't exactly match, but um, we're flexible in which way we go and just making sure that it works for clients as well as for the business. Eric and Jean, do you have any type of target date for when you would like to be out of the business? And Quinn, after they answered that, um, how do you plan to handle the added responsibility and also the loss of Eric and Jean as you know visionaries within the business? I have to say, we don't have a target date. We love what we do. We love the people we work with. But we also both look forward to having more free time and, and less, um, well, less time in the office. So gradually, I think we are trying to acclimate ourselves to not being here every day, not being here all day, every day, or definitely not being here every weekend as we have been for years. So I don't think we have a date, but we do have a gradual plan to cut back. And Quinn has been very open to having us involved in whatever way we're comfortable with. We plan to focus more on processes and back office and let the client transition happen with Quinn so that they clearly identify him as their advisor and we're more friends and and the guys that have been around for a while. I will answer your question, Matt, but I do also want to pipe in as Eric and Jean's financial planner uh, that, you know, we talk increasingly with retirement age clients about uh, finding your own path to retirement and uh, that, you know, unless somebody just really cannot stand their job or can't do it anymore, there's not necessarily a need to make a, a hard break in um, in doing a retirement that, that, that you find to be fulfilling and, and um, worthwhile. And so I, I'm a big believer that people, I mean, I've, I've seen it in my own family. My dad just abruptly stopped working 
Um, it was not good for him. It, it isolated him socially and, and really impacted his health. And that was something that I would not want to see my clients go through. Um, I, I just think it's unnecessary, too, if, if the employer, who, who in this small circle here happens to be me also, um, if, um, if we could work out a way that, that um, Eric and Jean can continue to enjoy the business and contribute to the business, I think it's best for their early retirement. And certainly there'll be a day when they don't want that and, and, um, and that's okay. And, and we'll, we'll find that eventually, but it's, um, I mean, I, th- I think we increasingly talk to clients about this because we see the social and mental and um, just uh, family impacts of hard retirements. And, and if, if that's not required, maybe avoiding that kind of a break is, is a good thing for a lot of people. So um so if, I will take off my planner hat now and ha, uh, ha, back to business owner hat. Um, the um, the thing with uh, this from a client perspective, I think uh, you know. So, so um, as visionaries, um, Eric and Jean, th- that that's true. That they are they have built up um, the earliest and and largest fee only practice in the area. Um, that is important to us as as um, goals for the firm and for me to maintain that presence, to build on that. Um, and I, I want clients to feel strongly that they're part of a, a thriving practice that has their best interests in mind and that, you know, is, is a fiduciary for them. And so, so, so we're motivated by that. And Eric and Jean are very good representatives of that and have a lot of value to the firm um, as having that place in the firm still, you know, like a, Kind of like an emeritus partner at a at a uh, law firm, you know, where where that brings a lot of continuity, um, and and that's important. So, um, so I I want to maintain that, but how do we just get work done day to day? We we're working through that too. Uh, we kind of knew early on that if the practice was ever going to grow. And if I would have any free time, I have a young family and like I, I need to have some free time built into the day, um, we, we would need additional eyes and hands around the firm to, to make up for the, 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 um, the missing amount. And so, so we are, uh, I have hired two additional people here. Uh, they are young planners. One of them is um, a colleague, another Matt, um, by chance, who I had met through the XY Planning Network, and um, he. we are exploring going full-time with him. He's been uh, part-time for uh, several months now, um, and we really like the work he does. Uh, he is a good complement on the planning side. We also brought in um, an intern, another career changer. So we're, we're pretty proud that all six of us here, including Cindy, our admin assistant, are all career changers. We think that brings a great perspective um, for from outside industries. It brings a perspective of, um, you know, questioning, like, why do we do these things that are just commonplace in financial planning or in investment advising? And um, so we brought in Jessie. She is a career changer. She's learning the ropes. Um, this is her first experience she actually happens to be a client of the firm too and um 
so so we're um, we are expanding that way and uh, they the two of them bring a lot of good energy for tackling things that uh, they they see issues and they think well what can we do about that and um, and or, you know develop new documents and and um, develop new approaches to planning and that's very exciting and I think um, I am it is um, makes me excited as I think about the work we're doing here. And I think Eric and Jean would agree that we uh, feel like we have a very healthy practice and um, that that it, we're really moving in a, a good, strong direction. And it's not just the closing down of one business as another business gulps them up or something like that. That's awesome to hear. And it sounds, you know, every time you're adding another piece, it, it gets more exciting. Absolutely. Yes, it's it's a neat work environment now. We've got such a dynamic, engaged team that it is makes it even more fun to come into work. Quinn, with the addition of new employees or team members, are you really leading the process of recruiting, interviewing, and hiring these people since you will be the one ultimately in charge of the mothership at some point? Yeah, that that gives it a lot of um, structure to something I have not done <laughs> very or describing it that way. Um, it seems very formal. Um, I find ways to fall in or have things fall into my lap usually that, um, and then I look at Eric and Jean and say, "Should we probably do that?" And they say, "Yeah, you probably should do that." And so then um, we just make things happen. <laughs> so um, we we did not go through a search process or anything like that. I. I'm fully aware that this is can be a very difficult process for firms trying to find uh, new planners and a new um, new team members. That's uh, I, I I feel for them. We may face that ourselves someday. But um, but you know I think we've we have done the, another approach rather than doing the formal search process, uh, which has its own benefits. Uh, I would highly recommend also you know. How do you leverage your network, which is all this was, you know, it was happened to be a client that we knew was coming into a situation where she would consider this. And then a, um, a friend of through, uh, you know, the planning circles that uh, we're all in that we um, also thought would be a good fit and that would be. Um, maybe open to partnering this way. And that, that was Matt's situation. And so I think, you know, really uh, look around in those avenues too. It, um, and, you know, I, I'd highly recommend that process because, or that, that form of it, because you know those people and that that's, you know, always the challenge with a formal hiring process is you get a lot of really good candidates and you get selection and you don't have that when you're trying to tap your market or your network and saying like, Oh, who do we know? But, um, but, but then, you know, when you have a formal candidate coming in who you don't really know, except for this one page resume, uh, boy, you sure need to find out about their personality and, and quick and make sure they're the right fit. And, you know, there, there's certainly things people can go through to do that process. But, um, but if, if you take, sort of that alternate approach of thinking about who you like and who you know um, as potential fits. I, I also am, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we ought to all in this industry, and so call out to all your listeners, um, you, you know, we really ought to be thinking about who are people who would enjoy this kind of work and not 
not fixate on like, do they have the right bachelor's degree? Do they have, um, can they pass a series XX, whatever exam? Like all of that stuff can be, be trained. This is not um, nuclear physics in that sense. And so it's, it, if there's a lot of people who we feel very strongly should get into this industry, but we don't approach them um, well enough. And, and that's, um, so that, that's a personal passion of mine is helping people find work. Cause I really like this work. I'm so glad I changed careers and, um, or kind of sidestepped into this career. And so I, I feel very strongly that we ought to take that approach with people that we know to, to talk them into this, just, just like Eric and Jean did with me. I would add that, that um, for experienced planners to make it part of their goal to help people who may be right for this business or or may be interested to be there for them to take the time to mentor and to and to be open and to encourage um, because that's how our network locally has worked. Eric and I were the only fee only advisors in the entire area. And now because of the the networking and, and the people that we've talked with and, and been involved with, um, there are probably 20 FIOLI advisors in our area. And we hope to have more and more. We're not looking at competition. We are looking at better serving consumers uh, with people who should be doing this kind of work. So it takes time and it takes energy. But as Quinn said, that's how you get to know other advisors and know who really fits well with your practice. You know, Quinn, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there with a formal you know, recruiting process, but <laughs> do you feel that having that informal approach or things falling into your lap has allowed you to find the right fit versus the right skills? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're fortunate. I mean, I, I think um, there, you can't discount the amount of uh, luck or making your own luck in some of this too. Um, so, you know, not, not everybody has those um, people on their network right now that, that they could look to, to hire um, that, that's, um, but, but it is, it is really important for finding that fit. I, you know, we, we think skills can be trained. We have, uh, the three of us have all learned these skills over time. Um, that's not to say this is like a low skill, you know, job at all. I mean, it's that there's, there's so much value that you can bring with a high amount of technical expertise, but, but, um, and I'm also a believer too that you know if we had not had these opportunities, uh, perhaps instead of going through a more arduous process of like posting on on job boards and uh, going through a recruiting process or, or hiring a recruiting firm or something like that, we maybe would have considered. Actually, I know we would have considered. Um, doing like a paraplanner, a, a virtual assistant, somebody that would um, have the right skills who you could test out with some work. Uh, because Eric and Jean actually did that with me when I was, um, this was uh, well, about a year and a half or two years ago now. Um, 
they had me come in, uh, you know, we signed non-disclosures and all that kind of stuff, but worked for them as a contractor so they could test out um, that, you know, how, how did I work on their plans? How, you know, and this did go on for very long. It was just, you know, a nice way for us to get to know each other better. But I would, I would absolutely consider that with uh, somebody who runs a virtual paraplanning or um, practice or, or in some other way offering financial planning skills, but not um, looking to, uh, you know, jump right into a formal uh, hiring process. So I think that that's for younger planners, a great way to get to know um, a few planners and, and maybe start that conversation about like, do they have a, a fit in a future role at a um, more formally in the, in the practice and, and even could be part of the succession planning in, in, you know, years down the line kind of thing. Thank you for mentioning that, Quinn. That was an important step that, that we had not mentioned before. But actually having the chance to work together did make everybody so much more comfortable. So would you say then, you know, having that trial period, is that a, a piece of advice you would like to give other advisors who might be looking to grow their team is, you know, create a part-time position or bring someone on who you think could be a fit? test them out and go from there? Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if it's possible to do that, that is such a neat way to get to know someone better while you're evaluating skills and give that person a chance to, to look inside the business a bit to know if they would want to join eventually. Right. Yeah. That's, it's a two way, it's a two way street. That That's absolutely right. Um, you know, you, you are also as the hiring firm, uh, you know, trying to trying to put yourself out there to say, you know, like we we like our culture, or you know, we like the kind of coffee we offer in the morning, or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever reason somebody should come to work there, uh, that's a, a great way to to sell yourself to to candidates because, um, as you know, I think we generally know about the industry that talented young planners are in high demand and um, and and so you you have to be able to make a case for yourself as well why they should come to work for you so eric and gene any last tips that you would give advisors who are thinking about approaching retirement and transitioning out of their business what tips would you give them um, if you could go back and change anything the way you did it i think it's wise to to start thinking ahead, they, I think the the things I've read and <clears throat> and from our own experience, um, somebody that thinks they're about five years away or something like that, it's it's never too early to start and to not hurry and rush into the process, but to have a a methodical way to go through to to make sure that you're doing the best to build that foundation so that um, so that you're your firm and your clients and uh, you as the owner, that you're well taken care of as, as you move through the whole process. I think it is so easy to stay <clears throat> involved in the day-to-day business that it is hard to look far enough ahead to think about ever, ever changing that. Um, but once we got to the point partly through sessions at conferences, partly through discussions with other people, and partly through um, people saying to us, well, how long are you going to be in business? It did force us finally to really seriously consider it. And once we did, once we actually started talking about it and talking to people who were interested in taking over our practice, 
it helped us identify what we wanted to have happen and what was happening with a broker wanting to wanting to talk to us about buying the business um, made us realize we we need to look within the fee only and it needs to be the right personality match so that everything kind of led from one thing to another and again I know I'm I'm uh, focused on this single point but knowing other people locally doing your best to to network and to communicate and to help and support each other on a local basis uh, built the relationship with Quinn it has built the relationship with Matt and now with Jesse who's interning with us it has all been through knowing people and uh, and building the relationship and and Quinn any tips out there for someone who's looking to take their firm to the next level and merge and eventually take over the full responsibility of another firm. Yeah, that, that's a good question, Matt. I mean, I'm, I'm sure my thinking will change, you know, over the coming years as I get more perspective on the on the merger. It's been, a, you know, a huge success I think for us. Um, that that's not to say it's been easy. At, you know, and there are things that you just have to work through. It, it is more work than your day-to-day job. So you have to be prepared for that too. And I, I think getting help is really important. So uh, Jean mentioned finding a coach um, and that that's good because there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of it just thinking that you get into that like kind of like middle of the night thinking that's not all bad. It just, you know, it's, it's good to have somebody that you can that you can talk through things with. Eric and Jean and I are very open with each other and have been from the beginning, but I could see how that's, you know, maybe not always going to be the case with other people looking to, to purchase a firm that the, the sellers, you know, for whatever reason, keep a little more distance. And um, so finding a coach, I think it would be helpful for a lot of people. Certainly finding expertise from a consultant or an attorney who knows what they're doing is, is critical, um, especially early on. You just want to make decisions that are smart as, as you go into um, the acquisition and not be backpedaling later because of some mistake that you made, you know, like from a regulatory standpoint or a financial standpoint or something like that. So, so getting help, I mean, it's, it's just, this is a business transaction. So expect that you need to pay money to get assistance on those things with an accountant and other things. And so not trying to do everything because you're a smart financial person. I mean, that, that's the same reason that all three of us have a financial planner too, is that, you know, we, we know we need outside perspective. So I think those would be the big ones, um, finding help for yourself personally and finding, um, you know, business transaction help is, is really important in, in the whole process. So to use a good old Midwestern uh, adage here, measure twice, cut once. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking with all of you about this very exciting time for the firm. And uh, thank you again. Love what you hear on this podcast. 
Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.